Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, we have a different setup happening. We have Katie Type A joining me in today. So, Katie, welcome. Hello, Lucas. Yes, I have my journalist hat on today. I'm very excited. We're going to do a little Ben Greenfield style thing where I'm going to actually turn the table and interview you. So, uh, I'm going to grill you pretty hard. I hope that's okay. I have a lot of questions. Bring it on. Bring it on. We're going to do a, um, a flipped, flipped approach here. So uh, yeah. mind you guys, there's not there's not a lot of preparation involved here, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, Katie, you can uh, throw some questions at me. Well, I think, so we've been friends for a couple of years and I, I, I feel like I, there are so many questions that I have been like, like I'll be in a supplement store or I'll get like a targeted ad on Instagram. And rather than screenshot and like send them all to you, I just figured I would just ask you them all right now. So let's start with the brain. Cause I feel like that's kind of my little obsession. Um, and I I'm curious because one of the things I keep getting targeted with are these personalized nootropics. I've definitely tried some over the years. Some have been better than others, but we talked at one point about um, when you put a lot of ingredients in together, it's kind of hard to isolate. So I'm just curious, like, what's your take now on the whole personalized nootropics? And most importantly, do you, have you ever designed a stack for yourself, like based on your own brain data, either 
via a brain map or, you know, something that you've done neurofeedback wise, like I kind of want some quantification to go with these personalized nootropics. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've had a lot of people actually ask a similar question around like um, different nootropic ingredients in different formulas. Like for example, there's a formula called, are you familiar with like qualia, qualia mind? I am. Yeah. Very familiar. Yeah. That um, I had a question asked yesterday. Uh, some guy wanted to know like the rationale and the reasonings behind why they include certain ingredients in, in these formulas. And the way I look at it now is like, I'm really all about like taking a sniper rifle approach rather than like a shotgun approach with like formulations and things like that. Because just over the years, like since the last time we spoke, which was like on uh, recording when we'll do that YouTube video together, um, my depth of knowledge has expanded infinitely. And now I'm understanding more about different ingredients and stuff like that. Um, so like the way I like to look at it when it comes to like personalized stacks is it's really difficult to know. For example, if you end up buying like a, a product that has maybe like, let's say eight to 10 different ingredients stacked together in different dosages, the way I like to look at it is like, how do you know whether or not you're going to respond either positively or negatively to each ingredient? So this comes back to like, because um, we're all so unique and we all have different you know ratios of different neurotransmitters, different receptor site um, levels and things like that. The way I like to look at it is like, instead of taking the shotgun approach, I would rather systematically go through each ingredient sample each ingredient by itself and test it out for at least five to seven days in order to like accurately gauge my subjective response. So like I will personally evaluate compounds in isolation as best I can. And this is probably the hardest thing for biohackers because we love to just throw everything all throw everything under the kitchen sink at our health. Absolutely. Okay. But Lucas, Lucas, you were on Ben, you talked about this and I was like, uh, not not to be rude, but I was just like, how on earth do you have the time and the bandwidth to like, at the time you were journaling, like all of these like effects of these, do you still do that? Like crazy old, like Dewey decimal system? I don't know how you do that. Uh, not, not so much anymore. Like, I mean, when I, it's difficult now. Cause like, uh, I can't afford not to be on point. Like I've had, like I've had experiments when, or like situations where like I've formulated a particular stack or something and it's it hasn't gone that well. Like it, it's like sort of some things that I've, you know, used in the past have actually made me like a little bit more antisocial, but really, really focused, but like very antisocial. And like, I don't really want to be around people. I'd rather just be like a little like nerd in his like study dungeon sort of thing. That's like my favorite. Can you give me that stack? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah. what is your, like, what is your Supreme stack then right now? Like what, what's like the thing you go to every day? When you uh, be on? Well, I mean, at the moment it's still pretty much just like, I'll go back to things that I've used years ago um, and things that have worked really well for me. So right now I'm taking a standardized, um, extract of um, a St. John's wort, which is um, Hypericum perforatum. Now that particular one that I'm using now is most people will be like, "Oh, Lucas," but I thought you don't. I thought you don't like serotonin. Not. I thought you. You know, it's you're like just a the, dopamine guy. 
<laughs> yeah, but I looked into the research around like different constituents found within St. John's Ward. And I was actually, I actually got assigned a an assignment back at university at uni. Um, <laughs> we call it uni. <laughs> we call it college. I don't know when that translation happened, but um, so at your university, you looked at St. John's Ward, like yeah. isn't it banned in certain countries or am I crazy? Is that still in effect? It's very, it's highly regulated because mm. it's probably like the number one most interacted, like it interacts with so many different medications. It can affect how long they last in the body and things like that. But um, yeah, that particular St. John's board that I'm using now, the ZE117, which is like a, a patented version of uh, St. John's board has like, like very, very low levels of hyperforin, which is the constituent that interacts with everything. So that's like the constituent that's thought to believe, thought to be the reason why St. John's Wort interacts with all these different drugs on the market is because of this constituent. It affects um, metabolism of drugs and stuff. So this one has um, a lower, lower um, yeah. ratio of this. Okay, Yeah. cool. And yeah, I mean, I guess this, sorry, I'm going to just totally um, <laughs> go off topic here, but somewhat related. The, the serotonin thing that you mentioned, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of other... Um, you know, different supplements on the market. I think you arguably 5-HTP, methylene blue, which we've talked about. Like when can those cause a serotonin response or serotonin syndrome in people? Like, and how, how should people tread cautiously with these things? This is a really important question because um, a number of people have actually messaged me like privately or sent me an email about like um, accidentally developing, yeah, serotonin syndrome, which occurs when um, the individual combines two substances or compounds or drugs um, that can either slow the degradation of serotonin or enhance serotonin's actions or increase the total output of serotonin in the brain. A great example is what you mentioned there, like 5-HTP being a direct precursor, well, actually, yeah, a direct precursor of um, serotonin. Um, if you combine that with things that also inhibit the reuptake, for example, like an SSRI, um, there is a chance of developing something known as serotonin syndrome. And actually, this is one of the, like, I guess the, there's a theory floating around around the, uh, ashwagandha potentially causing a very low level serotonin syndrome because it's it can actually mimic the effects of certain SSRIs by desensitizing the 5-HD1A serotonin receptor, and that can lead to like excess serotonin uh, symptoms. So what is serotonin syndrome just for anybody who doesn't really know and what are the symptoms of it? How dangerous is it? Yeah. So serotonin syndrome, it can be fatal. Like it's actually extremely dangerous. Um, I actually, I think I, well, there's a guy in in the health space, um, coach Jake Carter, he actually was on the verge of developing it. And luckily I was aware of the symptoms and I was actually, I actually helped. I think I saved his life really. Like I was actually fast enough to recognize the symptoms. So the symptoms are, um, was this in your like, was this like, it, like he was just posting on IG or was this like in your coaching? Um, uh, this was like just calls. like a, just, just a general friend of mine, like just who reached wow. out and knew that I knew a lot about neurotransmitters and stuff. And 
some of the symptoms that he developed was like, um, so nausea, vomiting, um, muscle hypertonus. It's like, uh, your muscles feel like they, uh, like contracting involuntarily. Um, mm. you can develop like a severe fever and also ridiculous, like tachycardia, which is like accelerated heart rate. Interesting. Wow. And, um, yeah, I, is there something that's like a dopamine syndrome? Just curious. Like if you have too much dopamine, cause I, you know, I'm, again, this is, there's so much experimenting in the biohacking field, which is fantastic. But I think there's a lot of like, I want to try everything and feel on all the time. I mean, I I'm certainly guilty of that. Um, I sometimes take way too much, um, in terms of like nootropics that I think are going to enhance productivity. And then what I find is when my dopamine levels are so high, I can't even focus because you're just mm-hmm. like in this overstimulated state, which kind of like if you have too much coffee and you're just beyond jittery, you're like, I can't now actually be productive. So is there something that's kind of like the equivalent of serotonin that would affect dopamine? Well, what you're describing there, like um, that state characterized by like excess dopamine, um, I think a lot of those symptoms are actually attributed to dopamine's metabolite norepinephrine and epinephrine or noradrenaline and adrenaline because dopamine goes down that pathway and that cascade. So I think if people misattribute the negative effects of high dopamine, I think a lot of it actually may come from its conversion into norepinephrine and adrenaline. Now you can actually um, block that. There is a way to block that conversion from happening, not to a large extent, but you can take an amino acid, what's actually a peptide um, known as L-carnosine, not not carnitine, L-carnosine. It's a dipeptide that's used for anti-aging purposes, um, Hmm. reducing advanced glycation end products and, um, yeah. I think I just got a targeted ad for that actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Oh, okay. Well, that's really helpful to know. And, um, and that's kind of been something that has certainly come up for me a lot in the nootropic space. And so I want to take a little bit of a pivot and go down a more controversial route, because I think this is also something that I've been seeing a whole lot of recently. Hmm. And again, there's, I think there's a lot of use cases in which this works, but I just want to get your personal take kind of like from a professional standpoint of like, you know, chemicals, and then also just your personal take, like how much you've experimented with psychedelics. So go. (laughs) Well, I mean, I personally haven't actually used um, any of the traditional psychedelics yet. And the reason why I say yet is because, um, well, first of all, I haven't had a calling to try them yet. Um, The main reason being is because like, I'm sure you've heard of the saving, you've probably heard of the saying, um, if it ain't broke, don't try and fix it. Um, Like the way that, the way in which I feel like my brain operates and the way that I rank things in terms of like value prioritization, focusing on business, then do, then having fun, then doing all that. Then this, like, I feel like my ranking system is pretty good at the moment. If I ever feel really, really stuck or confused or directionless, which usually like touch wood, like I don't usually feel 
directionless. Like I do know the path that I'm on is the right path. I've had so many things that like reinforce that. I've had mentors around me say like, keep doing what you're doing. You're going to discover something big for science. Like you'll find your, your mystery ingredient. You'll bring that to market. You'll do something incredible. Um, but in saying that I did, I have tried something known as 10 MEO Harmalan, which is, um, I think I'd be probably the, f- the first person in Australia to ever try this particular uh, compound. Uh, so it's 10 MEO um, methoxyharmalan. Um, and that on paper, in theory, um, has a serotonin antagonist, serotonin, serotonergic antagonistic effect greater than LSD. Um, and my subjective, unfortunately, my subjective response to that wasn't, it actually wasn't that exciting and it wasn't that good. Uh, and actually it didn't feel great. Uh, I didn't feel good at all when I took it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually backed off it. And so just decided not to, not to try it. But in saying that, I mean, like psilocybin's different, works on a different pathway. And I'm sure you've got your own <laughs> experience and experiments with, um, so you've had, you've tried a range of I am not going to neither. I'm neither going to confirm nor deny um, that I've done psychedelics. I just was kind of curious because I'm seeing a lot of um, neuroscientists actually doing some experiments with MDMA and the relation to empathy and ketamine and its relation to depression. So I was just kind of curious based on, you know, what you studied in school, like what where do you predict this um, is going to go? Because I, I can see it going in a couple of different directions, but do you think ultimately that this, this could take off in the brain industry, like, like the brain and health industry in yeah. a way that might actually, you know, take over pharmaceuticals? Is that, <laughs> that I mean. It's where we're heading in a direction where like, I feel like it's, where it's gaining more attention and also there's a lot of emphasis around like you know, treatment resistant to de- uh, depression, PTSD, things like that. There's a lot of incredible research coming out of, um, I think it's called maps. Maps. Yeah. Society. Tim Ferriss is the one who like kind of put that on the map, no pun intended, <laughs> but yeah. And they're, and they collaborate with a bunch of schools like Johns Hopkins and Stanford. And that's, and that's like where a lot of the money and um, funding is going to. Yeah, actually, we should probably mention the new, um, well, seeing as though we're talking about like the psychedelic stuff, um, there are some now new supplements that are designed to like mimic the effects of psychedelics without the um, hallucinations. And there is a new product that's released by uh, Nootropics Depot. Um, and it's a a new version of Bacopa Monieri, which Bacopa is a very well-known Ayurvedic um, nootropic ingredient, but this is standardized to a certain amount of ebilin lactone, which is apparently it's a, they call it a tickler because it tickles, it tickles a, the serotonin receptor that LSD and psilocybin also binds to. Um, so that's called, um, yeah, it's Bacopa, it's called Cognance, but it's um, t- the, the tickler. We'll put it in the show notes for those listening in um, if that's, they want to try Okay. It. And that's, totally legal. Like there's, that's you can, anybody can buy that. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's also where I, and not to like cut you off, but I, I sort of see us getting to a place where we start to extract the properties that are 
great for like neuroplasticity and, mm. you know, like cognition or whatever. Um, and taking that away from the hallucinogens, like almost like separating CBD and THC. Like I sort of see us getting there when it comes to psychedelics, because honestly, I mean, I would love to do psychedelics for kind of like the, the ego check and the, you know, creativity, but I don't want to hallucinate, you know, that's not, that's not like productive for me. So like, how can we get to that? Like perfect, like nootropic that gives you that without the side effects. Right. Well, we're, we're, I really like, I mean, I, I'm excited by that as well. I mean, like that's the direction we're heading in. We have the technology now where we can, we can now separate and isolate alkaloids that are found within d- different herbs. Like Caffeine is an alkaloid. Nicotine is an alkaloid. Um, your him beans are an alkaloid. Uh, these are like particular chemical compounds that are found. They're actually toxins. They're actually toxins found within herbs and plants. But now we have the technology to actually separate and isolate these individual constituents and then test them out. Like the, the newest one that's um, really exciting is the new caffeine, which I'm extremely excited by. Um, and that's, Caffeine actually has three main metabolites in the body. So caffeine can get broken down into um, one of three metabolites. The first one, about 80% of caffeine gets broken down into something called araxanthine. Um, That's P-A-R-A-X-A-N-T-H-I-N-E. The second one is um, theophylline, which is... Uh, it's in, in smaller amounts. I believe it's about 12%. Um, oh, sorry, theophylline is 4%. And then, sorry, theobromine is 12%. So theobromine, you're familiar with uh, theobromine? Yeah, you, you were the one who told me about it. And I was like, what is this crazy substance? But you said that was like better than caffeine. Yeah, so there's like, so theobromine is the, like the main constituent that's found in chocolate. And it's one of the reasons why they think, you know, chocolate is, mood elevating like it definitely elevates mood but but a lot of the properties of caffeine that we love and that we attribute all of the beneficial effects of um, caffeine might actually be coming from the paraxanthine so now Mm. which is the 80 percent now um we have the ability to actually create paraxanthine and i guess this is just my prediction i'm pretty good at predicting like things in supplement space is that I think paraxanthine will be probably like top three most used ingredients in all pre-workout products in 2023. Wow. Mm. Wow. Okay. You guys heard it first. Now, is it on the market yet? Like isolated or are we like, where can you buy that? Um, so at the moment they're including it in some pre-workouts already. Um, I'm mm. actually, I'm hoping to be one of the first to actually you know, add it to my website as a standalone ingredient, like just paraxanthine in capsule form. Um, but usually companies that manufacture, like release new ingredients, they prefer to like partner up with like companies that have huge budgets and they order like 50, like thousands yeah. of kilos all at once, you know? Um, that makes sense. So what are the, just let's walk through this again um, in terms of its properties, like, what are this, what are essentially the, the benefits that you're going to get from it as opposed to drinking a cup of coffee? Um, so what they have uncovered in the research is basically um, lower levels of toxicity, um, mm-hmm. less anxiety, 
which means like less jitters and nervous tension. Mm -hmm. It has stronger locomotor effects, which means um, like movement, the ability to like want, like wanting to move and, and like motivated to, to move basically. Um, Restlessness? <laughs> yep. I'm familiar. <laughs> I, I'm also familiar because guess what happened? My treadmill is official my treadmill desk, my treadmill has officially broken and I'm feeling extremely restless. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, you live outside in, in Australia, it's like summer there, so you have no excuse. Um, but okay, so that's it, that's interesting. So if you're really looking for something that's more of the cognitive effects, um, I mean, in theory, could you potentially take this like in the afternoon, because I try to do a cutoff with my caffeine by, I don't know, three o'clock. Again, I'm a very fast metabolizer of caffeine. If you do your genes, you can actually like genetic profile, you can see what, like if you're slow or fast. And so I was blessed with fast metabolism of, of caffeine, but I still try to monitor it for my sleep. So 3 p.m. is usually like the end of the cutoff. In theory, could you have this instead and it, you, it wouldn't affect your sleep? Potentially. I mean, it's got a, it's got a half-life of about um, three to five hours in humans. Okay. Um, so it could potentially be used. I would still be like as someone who's, I mean, I'm a slow metabolizer of pretty much all compounds. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use paraxanthine after like 2 PM or 1 PM myself personally. Um, but that's cause like, I'm, I'm just like super sensitive to most compounds. Um, and anything that's like slightly stimulatory is like, because I've already got very like high thyroid hormones, very high testosterone, very high, like dopamine. Like I don't really need more stimulation. Okay. All right. Overachiever. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on to sleep. Um, just since this seems to be coming up pretty naturally, I'm just curious because at one point you had like a crazy sleep stack and I can't even remember half the stuff you were taking because they are like most random names. So I'm curious, what is like the one thing, like the most obscure thing that you take for your sleep right now? The most obscure thing. <laughs> Jeez. Um, hmm. Uh, well, something that I've used a little, it's, I wouldn't say it's very obscure, but something that I've used, like maybe I use it like maybe once every two weeks for what I call a super sleep. Um, that's what I call like a super recovery sleep. What's a super sleep? What's a super sleep? Please uh, expand. I, I call it, I, I, I call us, I call it a super sleep because it's a sleep where you know, you're going to have, you're going to be in bed for at least 11, like 10 to 11 hours, instead of it being just like eight hours in bed you're deliberately like subduing yourself, forcing yourself to be like, tonight is a super sleep. It's going to be a recovery sleep. I pushed really hard Monday to Friday, or like I've done like six and a half hours every night, Monday to Friday. And now it's like, I need a soup, like a big recovery sleep on a, on a Sunday night, go to bed early, like nine o'clock um, and wake up at like, I don't know, what is it? Nine to like seven or eight. Um, and it's ciproheptidine. So I'll use, um, like a drug called ciproheptidine, which is, a basically it blocks all of the excitatory pathways in the brain. So, and also in the, in, in the adrenal gland. So it blocks cortisol, it blocks dopamine, it blocks acetylcholine, it lowers their, it's just like, it's like the zombie pill. It's not a great, it's not, 
is this is this like a pharmaceutical or is this what is this? It it is a pharmaceutical compound. Yeah, I mean it's actually prescribed for um, it's prescribed for hay fever and allergies, and also for um, also for um, like increasing appetite because it just makes you ravenous, like extremely hungry. So you're hungry this and is, sleep. This is <laughs> the worst sleep advice I've ever heard. First of all, you you okay? This is not this is like the antithesis of what Matthew Walker talks about. I'm sorry, Lucas. I'm totally calling you out on this. So first of all, you don't work like a battery, okay? You can't like cheap your sleep, like just, you know, half-ass your sleep early in the week and then think you could restore it. That's not how sleep works. Second of all, your circadian rhythm must be totally messed up. And third of all, you're taking people to take like horse tranquilizers to go to bed. I'm I'm confused. Like I thought you knew a thing or two about sleep, but clearly not. Um, okay, so uh, so if you don't take these pharmaceuticals, um, what what are just some very very basic practical tips that you use to go to sleep? Let's just start with the basics. Um, oh, actually, recently I've been press. I've actually been um, implementing like an acupressure point that I've been pressing down on. Are you familiar? There's like an acupressure point just below your there's like a spot there if you press down on the notch there um that actually activates serotonin like if you press down like you're pressing a i don't know like a A fly like a fly spray um (laughs) don't press it too hard now i don't want you to like kill myself (laughs) so so you just is that so you you go through separate acupressure points because i have like a have you ever seen those mats that like have the you can lay on them and they have like, have you ever done that? Um, geez, if we, if we had to like tally up all the sleep things that I have in my, like you helped me install my eight sleep mattress. So thank you for that. So right mm-hmm. now it's inclined. Well, that's like the most important thing. So <laughs> glad we got that one done. Um, so yeah, so eight sleep. Yep. Go on. Eight sleep. I'm currently sleeping inclined. I've got mouth tape on. So I'm forcing nasal breathing. I've got, um, I mean, you, you saw my blinds, they're like pretty like blacked out. Um, my, I'm wearing a eye mask as well. And I was playing around with the, um, the quiet on earplugs, the noise canceling ones, but they just kept falling out. Um, unfortunately, but yeah, they're like the main things like these days, like my sleep stacks are not super robust because I'm just like, honestly, I'm, it's just because I'm exercising a lot and training a lot that like by the time it's like 10, 30, 11, I'm done. Like I'm pretty spent. And I'm also like where I live now, there's a lot more natural light exposure. And I actually noticed, I actually men- mentioned to my, um, to my parents that where I am now, like it's really difficult to fall asleep before like 10, 30, because it's just so bright and there's so many windows and I love it. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, also you live in a relatively like big metropolitan area. And so there's probably a lot of street noise. Like I noticed that when I lived in New York, it was, I mean, you do eventually get used to the sounds, but it is an adjustment. Right. Um, which is why I typically like to have like a white noise machine of some sort. Uh, interesting. So, and then in terms of exercise, just curious, like, do you exercise relatively close to bed or is it earlier in the day? Um, so like usually my cutoff, like the latest I'll exercise will be like, I will never train beyond 7 PM. Like that's like the cutoff for me. If I train after 7 PM, 
it's going to be hard to fall asleep before 11 in general, just for me, purely because like, well, obviously cortisol, adrenaline, everything's surging very high, but then also like I then have to eat like probably two meals after that gym workout. And that's hard. I'm a slow eater. If anyone knows me really well, they, the first thing they comment on is like, this guy eats so slow. <laughs> like I just, apparently I just take forever to like eat my food. It's true because I have a, um, I have a hiatus hernia, which is like a part of my, yeah, I actually have two stomachs. I'm actually not human. Um, this is fascinating, Lucas. Everyone is really going to get to know you very well now. Geez, yeah, this is really. Oh my God. So you have two stomachs. How do you, do you, are you that? Okay. Just go on. I'm not going to even ask any questions yet. I have, I have what's known as like a sliding hiatus hernia where like part of my top part of the stomach is actually protruding through my diaphragm. And it's, it is pretty common. I think I was actually just born. I'm pretty sure I was born like this. Cause I used to, when I was younger, like I used to um, cry a lot, but also um, I used to get like reflux from a very like mm-hmm. acid reflux from a very young age. Um, and so I think that forces me to eat slowly because I literally like food just sits, food will just sit in this region. It will take a long time for it to actually travel down. And that's why like, I just can't eat quickly. I just, just, I just can't. Uh, what about enzymes? Have you tried that? Digest so I've tried, enzymes before eating? Yeah. I've tried um, gentian, gentiana root, which was insanely good for like accelerating. It's called, um, uh, evacuation, stomach evacuation, or yeah, it basically that it helps doesn't so sound great. <laughs> <laughs> Means that it, it's um, em- sorry, gastric emptying rate is the is the medical term, and it accelerates gastric emptying speed or gastric emptying rate, um, which means that it actually facilitates like movement and peristalsis and food traveling down towards your small intestine. Um, but yeah, that, that has helped. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a company called BioOptimizers. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they have this product called Masszymes. And it's really cool. They have this video where they actually like have like meat in a thing of water and they put the enzymes in and you actually see it breaking down the meat in real time. It's like, I think for people with, you know, stomach issues like this, like that might be something to experiment with. Um, not that I'm giving the formulation guy like advice, but just like, I don't know, this is a very weird use case. Like you're an N of one here. I've never heard of anybody with this, but I, I'm just, I've thrown it out there. That could maybe be something you, you try and experiment with. Um, but yeah, I, the good thing you don't like the, the exercise thing is also how I feel. And I always laugh because here in the States, I don't know if you guys have this, but there's a 24 hour fitness, which is like, it's open 24 hours and you will literally see people there at nine or 10 PM, like full on cardio. And I'm just like, these people, when do they go to bed? You know, like I know how stimulated I would be after a run. And so it's, um, yeah, my cutoff is like, they're relatively early, um, but I'm curious, so let's kind of, let's go more into what your wheelhouse is, which is testosterone and hormonals to health. And I saw recently on Instagram, again, this is where I get all my news information from, uh, testosterone pellets. And I don't even know what that means. So I'm just curious, what is that? Have you experimented with that? Do you recommend that to people? 
Um, so testosterone palate therapy, I mean, so this is basically like TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. Um, personally, never tried them, um, although I do know some people that use them. I would never use, I would never use this form or even testosterone replacement therapy until the age of like, I'm thinking, I'm guess I'm guesstimating around the age of 35 is when I'll probably dive into like testosterone replacement therapy purely because like the main reason being number one, it will affect fertility. Um, like in the future, I would like to have my own kids. Um, and number two is that, uh, once you start using exogenous, which means outside the body hormone therapy, there is a small degree of reliance and dependence upon that. Um, and, and so it's more of a lifetime commitment. If you're going to, if you're going to start hormone replacement therapy, you really want to try and like commit to it for, your, for, your, for the rest of your life. Um, but the palates are interesting. I did do some research when you sent me over the questions. Um, so each I didn't palette, send you over the questions ahead of time. <laughs> I, uh, this is all, this is all impromptu. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So they're under the skin from what I understand. That's all I know. Yeah. There's like 75, they, they say it's like 75 milligrams of um, crystalline, crystalline um, testosterone and they're placed like subcutaneously below the surface of the skin. Um, now obviously like each palate, like implantation is done through like a small, in, a small incision. Um, and apparently the way they work is like, they slowly release testosterone, um, like in your body. So it's like more of a delayed effect. Um, but as far as like efficacy goes, I'm really excited to see more research on, um, like nasal application, like nasal testosterone therapy. Um, yeah, there's some pretty thing. crazy stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> I could just see like all these guys at conferences, like, can I have some of your nasal spray? I got to go up on stage. That's, um, I mean, I, I feel like when we see any trends, there's always like a nasal component to everything like oxytocin, right. And like even nicotine, like there's just so many nasal components, which is funny, um, which we should actually talk about like why that is an effective, um, like uh, modality. But before we get there, I just want to make one comment from the female side for all the female listeners out there, it does sound a lot like an IUD, which is a form of contraception where you do get, um, you know, like this, like usually it's copper or something implant under the skin and you can wear it for up to 10 years. So what is the longevity of the testosterone pellets? Like how long do they last and do you have to have them removed? Um, so apparently they like three to six pellets um, every three to six months is recommended by the FDA. Wow. That's like a total of 200, it's like 200 to 450 milligrams of testosterone. Um, so it does seem like it's pretty long lasting actually. And it, does it just melt like within the skin or does it have to be removed? Um, I think it's pretty easily. They just, they just uh, get absorbed underneath, underneath the skin and they slowly release testosterone, meaning there's like hmm. less you know, fluctuations. There's more of like a, stabilized effect really whereas like with so, the um that there is a gel like there's a testosterone gel and mm -hmm. um the dangers of the gel or like one of the biggest side effects is that it can rub off onto you know accidentally rub off onto your partner for example and mm -hmm. you know so that's that, that can be an issue 
And then what is there's do you, are there like testosterone injections as well? Like is that also an efficacious way to go? That's probably the most well studied way to to utilize testosterone replacement therapy, and also um, the way in which most men respond well to. Like it's probably the the favorite way to administer testosterone therapies through injection. Um, I don't know the intricate details around um, like exactly how to administer it, but I do know like it's usually like two to three times a week injecting or yeah, roughly two to three times a week or maybe once a week. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, the commitment part. I, I didn't even think about that. It's like, once you get started, it's, you're kind of now in this like commitment mode, right. Of having to keep, keep up with it. The nasal spray is fascinating though. And I, I know it's not out yet. Well, you said it, maybe, maybe it is out. I'm not entirely sure. Cause I have no, like no prior knowledge about testosterone nasal spray, but just curious from your perspective and your extensive knowledge about testosterone, like what, what is it about a, a nasal spray that would make it so effective? Cause to me, that sounds like the most risky personally, like more, even more than a, you know, a, than a gel, but I, I might be just completely naive here. Well, this is, this is an, a really exciting question because it's like um, it's called root routes or root of administration for different um, compounds and drugs. So most things are oftentimes consumed orally, right? But testosterone consumed orally, it's all about bioavailability and whether or not it can bypass the harsh environments of the stomach and, can it make its way to target tissues? Cause like the things to be great on paper, I think things can be incredible on paper, um, you know, look really good, but then once it tries to enter the body and make its way and perform its physiological actions within the body, it can be a whole different ball game. Um, with testosterone nasal spray, um, for example, and even like oxytocin nasal spray. And there's a men, there are many things you can take uh, nasally, um, the way in which these work is it completely bypasses um, first phase metabolism, which is you know, going through the stomach and, and liver and being going down different pathways. So I guess like the main advantage of that is that it's, it's actually can take the burden off and reduce the chances of like potential toxicity because it's, you know, it's bypassing that pathway. And then also um, there are androgen receptors in the brain. So these are like test, testosterone receptors or whatever, um, or androgen receptors. And, you know, we know that testosterone can hugely affect how a person feels like mentally, um, from like a, a mood elevation standpoint, their discipline, um, their willingness to engage in effort, you know, Dr. Andrew Huberman's quote that he mentions testosterone makes effort feel good. Um, that's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess like the nasal applications for even even other like pro hormones and other peptides as well is really um I think it's a really exciting space. And then you've got like you can administer drugs and supplements under your armpit, like you know, and then like you know, I'd imagine in the in the future a good product idea could be like a a testosterone boosting deodorant. That's cool. Oh. Right. It seems like it's coming. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah. This is interesting. I, again, I, I just think about like the delivery of like how you can actually measure a 
like a capsule or you, or even a pellet under the skin. But like when it comes to a, a nasal spray, like, can't you overdo it? Like, that's just my, that's where my thought goes, where you're like, or you get, you, it's really hard to measure that, you know, unless you have the exact amount, but I could see it getting, you know, a little confusing for people. So I'm curious, I I'm sure like, we'll see and hear more about this in the future. Um, but you know, testosterone, yes, obviously there's so much of that benefit with the effort and the, you know, kind of drive and almost like dopaminergic in some ways, right? Like I'm, they kind of go mm-hmm. hand in hand, but what about estrogen? I, men do need estrogen, and but how much and how? Yeah. So this is a really, really important point is that um, estrogen is indeed needed and is extremely important in men just as it is in women. Um, so uh there are some studies in male rats where they actually administered um, t- uh, estrogen. I think it was either cream or I can't remember the form that they administered it in. And um, the rats actually displayed like these male rats actually had better sexual performance from estrogen. And you think like, well, how does that work? Why is that? Why is that occurring? And that's because actually estrogen is incredibly important for male libido and sexual functioning. Um, and in addition to that, it can also affect like erection quality and things like that. Um, so estrogen is a normal um, metabolite of testosterone. It gets converted via the aromatase enzyme. Um, into, so testosterone can get converted into like DHT or estrogen. It actually does both. It doesn't, it's not either or it goes down different pathways and Estrogen's physiological benefits and actions are um, it's highly neuroprotective, so very good for brain health, very good for bone health, um, improves circulation and blood vessel formation. Uh, even in general, it's just highly cardiovascular protective as well. Um, so a lot of the, I guess a lot of the benefits of actual testosterone replacement therapy, a lot of it actually comes from its, conversion into estrogen and if you talk to like guys that deliberately try and block they take what's known as aromatase inhibitors to deliberately like block the conversion of testosterone into estrogen like they can experience nasty side effects like popping joints depression anxiety low libido all that sort of stuff wow what is the rationale for taking that so their their theory, and it's it's somewhat like it's pretty true to a, to a degree. Is like um, if they lock estrogen, they're less likely to develop man boobs or gynecomastia, which occurs when there's in some cases can be driven by too much estrogen. But we know it's not just estrogen; it's also the the ratio of testosterone to estrogen prolactin, progesterone, DHT, like they all come into play. But um, the estrogen side of things, like if, um, yeah, guys that deliberately try and lower um, estrogen, they, a lot of them are like athletes and bodybuilders. They're looking for that dry, hard, lean look. um, And it can give them that dried out effect um, because estrogen can affect like water retention, to a degree in the body and hold water weight. So yeah, that's the main reason. 
It's fascinating. I feel like the bodybuilders are like simultaneously like the craziest, like fittest looking people, but like also the unhealthiest. <laughs> when you really get into like what bodybuilding, like I don't know that much about it, but just in what I've heard, I'm like, oh my gosh, the stuff that they do or don't do, it's it's insane. But we can tackle that another day. Um, so I guess kind of coming back to the hormonal like balances and regulation and caloric restriction has always been something that I hear a lot of guys saying, like, you need to work out fasted, right? Let me tell you, as a woman, if I try to work out fasted, I've had many a times where I've almost passed out. Now, I don't know what that means, but I'm just curious from like a hormonal perspective too, what's like, how is caloric restriction or even fasting while working out going to change the testosterone to estrogen ratio in men? And if you know about the women part, I'd love to hear that too. Well, let's start. I mean, let's, let's start with the, um, the female side. Cause I mean, I had to study like women's reproductive health as part of my course. There's something known as the, um, the female athlete triad or triad. Um, and it's basically when the, the woman like exercises intensely under eats and then ends up completely losing like their, her ability to ovulate, um, her period, things like that, and completely mess up her entire ovulatory and menstrual cycle. Um, and it's because it's just extremely stressful for the body, like to be training fasted well, or like in a very severe caloric deficit, um, your body is really trying very, very hard to mobilize resources to create energy. And so do this by um, tapping into, obviously tapping into fat stores, it will do that, but then um, potentially causing muscle wastage. Um, you know, it's a very catabolic state exercising without sufficient amount, uh, not enough calories. Um, and it can really throw off the cortisol and progesterone, you know, balance in the body. And that can be, yeah, it can be very problematic long-term. And also um, it can, you know, cause a whole host of other, even thyroid health as well. That's the other thing is that um, being in a severe caloric deficit can lead to um, like suboptimal thyroid function. And if we understand basic physiology and bio and biochemistry, everything starts with thyroid function. Everything like this is like the gland that sits here, the little butterfly shaped gland that sits just, you know, in that area. That's what really regulates actually the, the speed at which processes take place in the body and the efficiency and the effectiveness, um, like converting cholesterol into the sex steroids, like that's all governed. A lot of that's governed by thyroid function. Um, yeah, no, I, I got really heavily invested in the kind of thyroid scene, if that's a thing, like a couple of years ago, um, primarily because, yeah, I mean, dealing with like issues of like brain fog, right. And you try everything when you're like, oh, but it's, all related to kind of the thyroid and how it processes cortisol. Like you think about like the pituitary gland and just like all the, everything is strung together, right? And so much of it does happen within the thyroid function. Um, okay, I don't want to rabbit hole too far down this thyroid thing, but there are a lot of supplements out there 
they, this is just me asking, like, because I've been a guinea pig and I've tried a lot of thyroid, like boosting supplements or thyroid regulating substance. What's, what's like the BS out there and what's actually good for promoting healthy thyroid function? So first off the bat, I would have to say would have to be iodine. Now, um, a lot of people will recommend like very high dose iodine to assist with thyroid function. But I think that this is not the best way to approach optimizing thyroid health. Um, the doses that they recommend are really, really high and actually very high iodine intake through supplemental form can actually have the opposite effect. Um, and I don't think it's a, a really smart strategy to um, in enhance thyroid function. Um, getting sufficient amounts of iodine, let's say through seaweed consumption, maybe like two to three times a week, um, that's a great strategy. You know, you're going to get all of the other trace minerals as well. You're probably going to get a small amount of selenium, which is also important. Um, these minerals, it's called the mineral dance for a reason because they, they actually, they need to be really well balanced within the body for a reason. They, they do compete with each other. Um, a classic example is like people that end up taking too much zinc, like particularly guys that are like falling on the testosterone zinc bandwagon. They think that more zinc equals more testosterone. That's not true. Um, like that's where things can be thrown out of balance and things like that. So um, as far as like supplements for thyroid function, there is one supplement that I think is really, it is effective at increasing thyroid function and also fat loss, energy, things like that. Um, that's called Coleus Forskolin. Um, that's, there's a product made by Life Extension that I usually recommend to, I was at literally just, just off a call this morning in the, um, in the Limitless program which I've, that's like the men's energy optimization program that I've just developed. Um, we were talking about, like we had this exact question come up around like thyroid function um, and a number of guys that have joined have actually suboptimal thyroid function. They thought that they had, um, like they thought a lot of their issues were driven by low testosterone, but actually if you look upstream, it was actually the thyroid that needed to be optimized and um, coleus for scolin is an ingredient that can help to speed up and accelerate thyroid function. It's also used in many different pre-workouts for like fat loss um, because thyroid helps with fat loss as well. Is it, what, what's the most bioavailable form of it? Is it found in plant material as well? Artichoke uh, or am I crazy? Maybe I'm thinking of something else. You're thinking, uh, coleus for scolin is a herb itself, but it's oftentimes combined with artichoke extract. extract. Okay. Yeah. That's that. I, I have some supplement in my cabinet that has both. So I was like, hey, that sounds very familiar. Okay. And why, why, why does it work well with artichoke extract? Like, what's yeah, so you're, 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 look, you're looking at, um, it's called Siltep is the product. I think, I think you've got. Yes. Uh, yes, exactly. Natural stacks. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. This so is, that. this is so nerdy. <laughs> Classic. Um, this is what happens with two biohackers that have no nothing else to do but just experiment with all these like crazy like obscure things. Um, okay, so yeah, so Siltep they have both, and there's a couple more that have jumped on that bandwagon. That combination is a is actually a really lovely combination. I've subjectively noticed really good effects from. I I take as part of the you know the studies you asked me like what's something that I take consistently. 
or that I'm taking daily to like make sure I'm on point. Well, artichoke is in my stack pretty much like five out of seven days of the week for me. Mm. It's one of those products that like I originally started using it for liver health because I know it's extremely good for, um, uh, it's called a hepatotropho restorative, which means that it's um, a liver regenerative herb. And in Chinese medicine, they consider artichoke extract to have no contraindications. So that means that it does not, it's the most benign, safe herb to use. Um, you know, so I was like, oh, I'll give this a shot for general liver health and all that sort of stuff. But then I, but then I noticed all the nootropic benefits and I'm like, when I take artichoke extract, I notice that my verbal fluency improves. I notice that I'm like, it's the most, I know it's the most random thing ever, but I just notice that I feel like I can communicate more effectively. Um, and- I know that feeling. And it's like, and again, this is why I was asking you, why, how do you quantify these things? Because part of me wonders if it's placebo, if it's like, like I have a, a blend today from thesis, it's called confidence. And anytime I do any type of speaking, I always take it and I'm like, it always makes me feel really good. Is it the, the thought that like, I know I take, I, I had a one-off where I took this blend and I felt good that day. And so now it's like this repetitive cycle in my head. Again, I'm getting really deep into the weeds here of like the psychological implications of this stuff. So just let me go off on, to, on this brand, but feel free to comment after. So yeah, there's this part of me that's like, if I keep taking artichoke extract, I get the same results. Of course, I'm going to naturally think it's helping, but at the same time, like, is it just the artichoke blended with something else that's giving me that effect? Secondly, I'm going to push you on something here, my friend, because I know you're very big on the formulation stuff, but what about food sources and bioavailability? Like, could you argue that it would just be better to eat an artichoke? This is a good question. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I mean, the, the bioavailability aspect, um, I'll, I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll address the first question, which was around how do you res- uh, assess your response? So it's like, I actually asked myself this question the other day. I'm like, how is it possible for my mind to be able to feel my mind? Like what is happening here? Like when I take, (laughs) when I take artichoke extract, for example, or if I take something that will make me feel like I have brain fog, brain fog for me can represent as like a heaviness feeling in my head, but that where is the heaviness feeling coming from? Is it actually like a, is it a physiological blockage of my the, the circulation? Is that why I'm feeling like a heaviness feeling? When I take artichoke extract, I feel a, the opposite of that, which is like a lightness feeling. And that lightness feeling just means like it feels like it gets rid of like the brain fog or like things that create um, the heaviness feeling. I don't know. It's a weird, it's really weird <laughs> This is interesting though. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I think maybe, maybe you can give like a couple tips for people on how they can actually start to assess. And I'm actually selfishly asking this question because I have for years had a really hard time figuring out what works and what doesn't, even when isolating things. Like, do you have any type of like format or chart where you go through like these, like, 
the benefits or the symptoms or whatever you're experiencing and like bubble it in like a Scantron or something, you know, where you, you're kind of going through systematized and you're comparing every single thing based on a rubric or a grading system. Do you do something like that? Or is it just like random notes? Like I feel my brain is heavy today. Um, I went through a phase when I was like ridiculously, like really meticulous with that sort of stuff. But then I, I just outgrew that. And now I'm just doing like, um, I'm just doing on my Evernote, I've got an Evernote that I've set up and I'm basically just, I've got keywords that I just, you know, will search for. Um, but it's like the high level of, if you're in the biohacking space, the biggest advantage that you can have, or like the, the best way to just like, I guess, optimize your performance and well-being is like the, the, the sooner you can understand how your, how your body functions and how you respond to things, the, the faster you build that level of self-awareness, the, the, the faster you're going to succeed because you're going to reduce the chances of having average days and you're just going to increase the chances of having fantastic days. And the more fantastic days you have, the better your life quality is, the better you're able to achieve your goals, the quicker you can scale your business, the quicker you can, you know, just get out there and, and do things, you know? Yeah. Do you want to hear something that's really weird that I just recently introduced and I, it's one of those so basic supplements that it, I almost am laughing that I'm taking this because you can get it so easily bioavailable wise vitamin C. Like I take a liposomal vitamin C and I feel on top of the world. And I don't like, I don't know why that is the case, but I have now made that a, like a part of my morning routine because it's just, it invigorates me in a way that I, I hadn't felt without it. So yeah, it's a lot of trial and error. And sometimes it's the most basic of things. Vitamin C, you can get that anywhere. You can eat an orange, but it's just something, something to this specific one that I'm using with the liposomal and just, yeah, it's crazy. So sometimes it does, it is worth noting when you start to get lost in the sauce of all of these different nootropics and all these different compounds. And I mean, come on, peptides are sexy. Like everyone wants to talk about semaglutide and like NMN and all these things. And we obviously don't have time to talk about all of them today. We'll have to do that for part two. But I think remembering to come back to the basics and like get a good night of sleep, exercise, like drink enough water and make sure your water is mineralized. Yeah. I just got on board the electrolyte thing and it has changed my life. Well, you know, well like, just going back to Going back to the vitamin C where you mentioned there, yeah. like, you know how you said you just don't know why it makes you feel so good. I'm the same. I, I've, I've had um, intravenous. I, I was doing in IV vitamin C every single, um, every three weeks, I was doing 15 grams of IV vitamin C. And I was like, why am I feeling so good after this? But it's not immediately after. It was always the next day. And I was so obsessed with like trying to understand like the mechanism of action, like what is it doing? And I came up with a pretty a pretty convincing like theory as to like why it actually has this fantastic mood elevating, just feeling great effect. Um, and I actually attribute it to its ability to help recycle something known as BH4, which is tetrahydrobiopterin. I don't know how I remember the name of that, but yeah, BH4. Um, and BH4 is a cofactor um, to actually synthesize all of the neurotransmitters. Um, it's, it's incredibly important and can be depleted 
through a range of things. Uh, so that's that was the one theory. The second one was that vitamin C is the most important cofactor for the enzyme um, tyrosine hydroxylase. And tyrosine hydroxylase is the enzyme that converts tyrosine into L-dopa and then eventually dopamine. And if, it, if vitamin C is incredibly important for that, um, then that, that would explain the, the mood elevation. And then third was also the um, oxytocin boost as well. Um, vitamin C can help act and increase um, oxytocin. So this is crazy, Lucas. I had those exact same three theories as well. So I'm glad <laughs> we, we checked the, that box off. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, cool. I feel like it's unfortunately time is up, but there are, I have so many more questions. So maybe we can do a part two at some point, but this was really helpful. I feel like like Andrew Huberman, you are so dense with your stuff, with all of your information. And I, I mean, I just took down a million notes that are absolutely illegible. So I'm going to have to go back and try and figure, I also have Evernote. So I'm going to try to figure out what I wrote, but um, thank you so much. This was, this was super, super helpful. I hope your audience got a lot out of this too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll definitely have to do a part two. Cause that was, um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>